Part 2, Chapter 11 of The Luggage of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Luggage of Life by Frank W. Borum. Part 2, Chapter 11. So many beds in the ward! That was little Emmy's trouble. So many beds in the ward. The lines are almost too familiar to need quoting. Yes, and I will, said Emmy. But then, if I call to the Lord, how should he know that it's me? Such a lot of beds in the ward. That was a puzzle for Annie. Again she considered and said, Emmy, you put out your arms and you leave him outside on the bed. The Lord has so much to see to, but Emmy... You tell him it plain. It's the little girl with her arms lying out on the counterpane. Now here, with an art that is all the more wonderful because it is the art that conceals art, Tennyson has stated for us one of the most acute problems of the Christian faith. The Lord has so much to see to, such a lot of beds in the ward. These are the ugly thoughts that have come knocking at all our doors at some time or other. Did I say at some time or other? I mean at one especial time. These are the ugly thoughts that have entered all our heads just when the time came to pray. We were burdened. We hungered for a sense of the divine sympathy, the divine interest, the divine care. And, as we kneeled, Little Emmy's question came dinning itself into our shuddering souls. The Lord has so much to see to, such a lot of beds in the ward. We rose disillusioned. When we kneeled, the place seemed like a shrine. When we rose, it was only a cupboard. When we kneeled, it seemed as though we were about to hold communion with the very skies. When we rose... The ceiling itself seemed to be grinning at our defeat. It was as though all the lamps of faith had been blown out. It was as though life's dearest companion had willfully turned his back upon us. It was as though the doors of home had been suddenly slammed in our faces. The Lord has so much to see to. Such a lot of beds in the ward. These reflections have been suggested by a letter which has just reached me. It is from a gentleman who has gained, with marked distinction, two of the highest degrees obtainable on this side of the world. I mention this to show that the problem is not confined to poor little waifs in London hospitals. Here on the one hand we have little Emmy, and here on the other we have our brilliant university graduate, but in both cases the trouble is the same. I have given up praying, my friend tells me. It seems so utterly incredible to me that a God who controls all worlds and inhabits all time can have patience to hear me speak to him about my examinations and my love affairs and my prospects. Here then, quite clearly, we are face to face with little Emmy's puzzle over again. The Lord has so much to see to, such a lot of beds in the ward. Little Emmy stated the case from the standpoint of the child. The letter states it from the standpoint of the scholar. That is all. 
Let me turn for a moment to current literature. Here on my desk is a London magazine containing an article by Miss Marie Corelli. It is not written in that lady's best vein. I am not sure that it is quite worthy of her. Her whole argument seems to be that the Lord has far too much to see to, that there are too many beds in the wards, to permit of his taking an individual interest either in a child in a London hospital or in a university graduate in Australia. She refers to the Most High as that that tremendous omnipotence to whose intelligent action we owe our own very being, the generator of universes, the creator of everything the eyes can see, the ears can hear, or the brain can imagine. And she scorns the very idea that we, the children of one out of a million million vast productive epochs, should be found assuming a certain swaggering posture before this ever-present divine. Here, then, we have the self-same problem stated in three different ways. First, by a puny little patient in the children's hospital, then by a graduate of an Australian university, and once again by a modern novelist. And each one of us, if we cared and dared, could state it afresh in the throbbing terms of some profound personal experience. A book published some time ago told the story of old Mr. Westfield, a preacher of the independent persuasion in a certain Yorkshire town, who was discoursing one Sunday with his utmost eloquence on the power of prayer. He suddenly stopped, passed his hands slowly over his head, a favourite gesture, and said, in dazed tones, I do not know, my friends, whether you ever tried praying. For my part, I gave it up long ago as a bad job. The poor old gentleman never preached again. They spoke of the strange seizure that he had had in the pulpit and very cheerfully and kindly contributed to the pension which the authorities of the chapel allowed him. I knew him five and twenty years ago, a gentle old man addicted to botany who talked of anything but spiritual experiences. I have often wondered with what sudden flash of insight he looked into his own soul that day and saw himself bowing down silent before an empty shrine. It is a great mystery, a very great mystery, and yet, and yet, when you come to think of it, it is all wonderfully and exquisitely simple. The Lord has so much to see to. It all turns on that. The Lord has so much to see to. But what if he has? Is it not an almost universal experience that the people who have most to see to are the very people who see to each separate thing most thoroughly? If a piece of work wants doing, we ask the busy man correction. We ask the busy man to do it. He will consent without making a fuss, and he will do the work well. So many beds in the ward, and what if there are? The mothers who have most mouths to feed are the best mothers, after all. We recall the recitation that was so popular some years ago. 
it told of a father and mother struggling to support a large family a handsome offer came from a childless home would they who had so many part with one father and mother lit a candle and went from room to room among their slumbering bairns but they found each as dear as though each were their only child so many beds said little emmy so many beds said the tempter with his bags of gold but when the many beds were visited the parents shook their heads over each not one could be spared indeed the experience of this old world of ours shows conclusively that those children turn out best who come of large families darwin makes a great point of that so that it is false to fact that a child gets more care if his is the only cot in the house all experience goes to prove that a child is enriched and not impoverished when the parents have so much to see to so many beds in the home it is fair therefore to say that there is not even a prima facie case to be made out for the fear which assailed the faith of our sick little waif our master of arts and our distinguished authoress there is absolutely nothing in it reasoning as alone we may from things terrestrial to things celestial it is clear that the great father who has so many children to see to will take the very best care of each individual child and will bring up his immense family with the greatest credit to himself but even if in spite of all this the argument be allowed the honour of serious analysis it is so easy to expose its fallacy it will be noticed that the real difficulty in each case lies in the greatness of god it seemed incredible to little emmy to our master of arts and to miss corelli that a god who is the generator of universes and the creator of everything can be concerned with the cares of the individual now the trouble is not that they have made god to seem too great but that they have not made him great enough they have belittled him now how great is god that is the real question is he great to the point of absolute infinity is he or is he not now if god is great to the point of infinity it follows beyond all controversy that there is no stick or stone in all his universes of which he is not perpetually cognizant and conscious or to put it the other way if there is a feather or a straw blowing about the solar system which has for a fraction of a second eluded his knowledge or escaped his observation then by just so much his greatness falls short of infinity if therefore i do really believe that god is not only great enough to be the generator of universes and creator of everything but great enough to be infinite then i cannot help believing that no sparrow falls to the ground without his notice and that the very hairs of my head are all numbered this has never been better stated than by faber o majesty unspeakable and dread wert thou less mighty than thou art 
Thou wert, O God, too great for our belief, too little for our heart. But greatness which is infinite makes room for all things in its lap to lie. We should be crushed by a magnificence short of infinity. But what is infinite must be a home, a shelter for the meanest life, where it is free to make its greatest growth, far from the touch of strife. Yes, there are many whose hearts have ached in sympathy with those of little Emmy and our master of arts and our eminent novelist. They have known the anguish of the empty shrine. Let them turn their faces in the direction I have tried to indicate. And if they will follow that road, they will find that it leads home, and they will rest sweetly when they get there. End of part two, chapter eleven.